Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Does that Ravens win streak even enter your brain, the preseason win streak? I think it's a stupid record. I mean, who gives a shit about preseason games? Yeah, I mean, if we beat it, great. Well, we're going to beat it, so there we go. Yeah, uh, it is really fun, honestly. I was sitting in bed uh, watching ESPN all day, and all you could hear about is this streak, the streak. So I feel like we just had the biggest preseason W in history, honestly. But uh, it was definitely pretty cool uh, knowing what they had on the line, and we were able to end that. Yeah, he did. I watched that video. You go on my likes. I liked it. <laughs> It was the most most momentous occasion in NFL history, at least preseason history, last night when the Commanders took down the Ravens, ending their preseason record streak at 24. I don't know what it means. I never did know what it means. The Ravens took a lot of pride in it, so presumably they wanted to continue it as long as they could, not to the point where they played Lamar Jackson last night, but they still, within the confines of the guys who are on the field, it's a culture of winning, and they want to win, and we want to win, and we want to win. And they did for 24 in a row, and now they didn't. Commanders win. We're going to talk more about that game later, Chris. But your first reaction to the notion that the Commanders have taken down the greatest streak of meaningless football victories in NFL history. Uh, well, uh, even in meaningless football history, I mean, you could tell the fan base knew about it, right? I mean, you, you knew there was, like Troy, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck were saying, the people that were left in the crowd, it was still a pretty good crowd. They were on their feet at the end of the football game. So, like, everyone was aware of this streak, right? I, I'm a little bit like... Hey, I, I'm like the players and the fact that, hey, who cares? It's just the preseason. But 
you know, there's a part of me too that the competitor and all that. I I I I was like, ooh, let me let's see if Washington can pull this out. And I think what also on top of it is, I think the teams that play Baltimore in the preseason kind of get sick of hearing it. You know, and I know the starters aren't out there, but I think guys like Ron Rivera and them, they were probably managing the end of preseason game two a little more tightly than normal last night because even then they don't want to hear about John Harbaugh and the Ravens and undefeated preseason. So that added the intrigue to me, just knowing how coaches and players can be about a subject like that and rally around it. Uh, So it's over, but you know, meaningless, but I'm glad we can kind of shut up the subject now and don't, don't have to hear about it so much. (laughs) That streak had, had shades of another meaningless streak that the Ravens at one point tried to extend to the ire of Vic Fangio, the former Broncos head coach. If you remember this, Chris, they had the record for consecutive games with 100 yards rushing, not for one player, just for the team. And they didn't take knees at the end of a game against the Broncos so that they could extend the streak by getting to 100 net rushing yards for the game. And John Harbaugh wasn't all that thrilled with the pushback that he got, and he regarded it as significant. It was a streak that they ultimately shared and beat the Steelers on again. You prioritize what you prioritize as a coach of a football team, but ultimately all that matters is winning in the regular season. And if you see some correlation between instilling an idea that our competitive desires are so strong, right? That we compete about everything, right? We compete about anything. We're going to compete all the time. Whenever there's a competition, it means something to us, even if it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. It means to us learning to compete. Now, there are points where it becomes unhealthy, and it becomes completely irrelevant, and it becomes the fodder for jokes like we saw Jahan Dotson make. But I guess I'd rather have my organization wired to always compete. Agreed. Than to never compete. Agreed. It's going to annoy other coaches and players. But I don't think it's going to annoy anybody on the Ravens football team organization that they had that little goal. I mean, yeah. And, you know, to to add to your point, right, I mean, they're a team that's relevant every year and has been in the the Super Bowl window, playoff window, damn, a lot more than they haven't over the last 10 or 12 years. That's for sure. So there's something to that culture. And we know it's the Ravens. The Ravens want to bully everybody. They don't give a damn if it's preseason, drinking Gatorade, or, you know, hanging out in the locker room. They're the bullies. So they they want to set that mantra right, right to start the preseason and have it carry over. And I'm not mad at them for that. I'm not. I'm not. The only time you get mad is, like you said, if it crosses over to, wait, you're doing something stupid now to keep a, a streak alive or you're endangering some players. And I don't think that's really happened. So I can't ever be mad about John Harbaugh and what he does with that organization. After extending that streak in October of 2021 against the Broncos in lieu of taking a knee, yeah. John Harbaugh coached the team, said after the game, it's a very, very tough record to accomplish, and it's a long-term record. I'm not going to say it's more important than winning the game. For sure, it's certainly not. But as a head coach, I think you do that for your players, and you do that for your coaches, and that's something they'll have for the rest of their lives. And Lamar Jackson had perfect observation in response to that. I'm happy we got the win. I didn't even care about the record. So, you know, I don't know where 
that goes as it relates to things they can never take away from you. I have a feeling Ravens players who were on those teams aren't going to be gathering their grandchildren around and saying they were part of the team that set the all-time record for consecutive 100-yard <laughs> rushing games by a team, just as they won't be gathering, uh, gathering them around to hear about the time that dad or grandpa or pop-up was the, the player on a team that set the all-time NFL record for winning games that didn't matter a damn bit. It's just, there's something comical about it. I get the idea that you want to go compete. But, you know, we all know people who put far more importance in things that don't mean jack shit. We all know them in our lives. And this is just an example of people putting way too much significance in something that means absolutely nothing. Yeah, it it does. It it, it took a life of its own, I think, you know, between the media and, and just, you know, throughout football. But... But, but, you know, I think big picture stuff to what you, you know, started out the conversation with, I think there's, this is, it's not the end all be all, but it's a little part that can influence the big picture a little bit. Like you're talking about with that, just the never, never die attitude, right? We're just going to play tough and compete for four quarters. We don't give a damn where we play parking lot, preseason, whatever. We're going to be there. Hey, we're big and physical. That's right. You know, and yep, that's right. Look what we do. We run for a hundred yards every game, even though, you know, we're going to run, we still run it at you. And it doesn't mean a lot. It means more to the coaches and all of that. But I do think where it can become something is if you start to win, right? If you start to win a Super Bowl and start to be that, then people start to look at, well, hey, this team, look what they did. They, ooh, you know, preseason, ooh, look, you know, they've won a Super Bowl or two. And look, they, they dominate on the ground for the last eight or nine years. And that's where it can become something maybe when you do huddle around the fire as a player, you go, you know, we won a Super Bowl and we were uh, one of the best running teams you ever saw. We dominated everybody, right? And they can, and you, that's where it starts to become like lure of the organization and has some shine to it. But you got to win and, and become something before it, it gets to that point. I didn't know Phil Simms ever played for the Ravens. I guess that time with the Browns, I tried to change it a little. Counts. I tried to change it a little. It didn't change very All much. Right. By the way, by the way, speaking speaking of John Harbaugh, I was very disappointed. So disappointed. Why? To see that Michigan has self-imposed. Oh, I bet you are on his brother Jim. Yeah. So you won't get to meet with Jim, talk to Jim. Visit with Jim, your good friend, Jim. That's not going to happen when you work the game between Michigan and McNeese State. No, East East Carolina University. Oh, East Carolina. Sorry. Yeah, you jerk. Uh, That's right. Me and Mike Mike Tirico on the call on Peacock. Okay. But I am excited for it. And, yeah, I was interested to meet with Jim Harbaugh and see how that went, you know, ever since he told my dad to say hi. Uh, Nonetheless, you know, yeah, maybe. That's not what he said. (laughs) Didn't tell your dad to say hi. Told you to say hi to your dad. Slightly different thing. A little because he was pissed because you actually asked him a real question and he didn't want to answer a real question. So he ended the interview and he said, tell your dad I said hi. Right, right. So, yeah, I, you know, hey, you know, he's a little chippy. We know that. Yeah, I got a lot of respect for him as a football coach and what he's doing there. But, yeah, that's one or two less maybe uncomfortable meetings for me that weekend. And, you know, that's not not necessarily a a bad thing. (laughs) I know. What a shame. What a shame. My first ever interview of Jim Harbaugh, January of 2012, right after he got the 49ers job. Right. I tried to like weave in some question about the 
AFC championship and just like regrets from playing. I was trying to be nice about it. He was in that game against the Steelers. I was there. Yeah, right. Hail Mary pass at the end of the game that guy almost caught oh, in the end zone. Felt like a game the Colts were going to win. Quentin Coriat drops an interception right in his stomach and it would have been over. The Colts were going to win that game and go to the Super Bowl and take on the, the Cowboys, Cowboys in Super Bowl 30. Yeah. And and I, I asked him a fairly innocuous question about it and he got, hey, thanks for bringing that up. So yeah. he's, he's intense. I mean, it's in the Harbaugh DNA to want to beat you at everything. Exactly. All right. the time, exactly. whatever it is, right. it all makes sense. We want to win. We want to win. We want to win. We don't care if it doesn't mean anything to you. It means everything to us because it is the thing I am doing right now. And right now that thing I am doing, I am doing better than you. That means everything to me. That's the attitude. That's the attitude. That's, you know, again, we, we can talk about it, make fun of it a little, but both places are winning. Both have a culture and an attitude of what we like. We know what it is. It's tough. It's physical. It's detailed. So there's something to be said about that. that that's for sure. And, you know, I do got great respect for, for both there. And, you know, John and what he's done with the Baltimore Ravens and, you know, cutting edge offense with Lamar Jackson, thinking outside the box there. Uh, and still playing within that physical realm that he wants to. It was extraordinary, and it looks like he's about to change again maybe here with Todd Monken and, and Lamar and all that. So we're, we'll see where it all goes for the Baltimore Ravens. By the way, before we move on, I need to tell you. Yeah. I had something very significant happen yesterday. Really? First time ever. Not the tattoo. Not the tattoo. Not yet. That's coming, maybe. That's coming when Kirk Cousins is the Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> I got for the first time in my life – 58 years, although they didn't exist for my entire life. They only came around in the mid-1980s. But I now own a pair of Jordans. Wow. Look, look at you. What, and, and so what – tell me. Oh, good. You got them. All right. Which ones did you get it. here? Let me see. I got today. Wow. I got these. Look at those. Whoa. I don't know what they are. Those and here's are... how it happened. Here's how it happened. Yeah. My son wanted these. Right. My son wanted these, so he's figured out here's how I can get a pair. Get dad drunk and say, I'm going to buy a pair for both of us. Oh, and that's what he did. Well done. So he's got a pair. Way to go, Alex. And I got a pair. Way to go. So and these are kind of colors? Ravens colors. Yeah. Kind of Ravens, kind of Vikings. You're I think I'll wear them to the studios on Sundays. Yeah. Are we allowed to wear them uh, on the air? No. Do you wear well, yours on the air? I don't, don't wear mine on the air. No, but you don't see your yeah. feet really a lot of the times. Every now and then hey. you got to see mine. I, that's a size 12, baby. People wow. think I'm scrawny, short, little. They do. I got, I got, to, and I'm not, they, they don't come off as clown shoes either. They fit my body. That's 12, great. baby. Look at you anyway, giving Jordan. I'm going to wear them every Sunday and I'm going to kick your ass with them. <laughs> well, I'd like to see you try. All right, go ahead and give it a shot. <laughs> uh, but that, that's, I can't believe first Jordans ever. I want to say those are like the Jordan 13s or 14s. I think those are the ones he wore when he won his last NBA championship in 98. I think those were the ones. I'm pretty – I used to be very good with my Jordan stuff, right? I mean, come on, I grew up in that era. Uh, those are those are sharp. They're not my favorites, but they're sharp. My my son knows all the details, and, and he was showing me, like, all the little – you know, like the carbon fiber plate at the bottom, that they, like all this – like, I'm afraid to wear it now. He's showing me all these neat little things about it. It's like, am I supposed to put it on my foot, or am I supposed to put it on a mantle? Like, what am I supposed <laughs> to do with it? So – 
All right, I'm gonna you wear got it. Money. And I'm not you can buy another pair if I'm, you scuff them up. Don't worry. I'm not. Yeah, one one to rock, one to stock, <laughs> exactly, baby. Exactly. All right. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's well. So instead of buying the one to stock, he's just buying the one for me. And maybe he thinks if he does it enough, I just won't wear them. So he'll end up with two pairs. Of or the maybe he but bought three the first time and he he's just tried didn't it. tell you anyways. And he has one to rock and one to stock, and he got one that's for true. you too. That's true. <laughs> All right. Um, Let's get to it. I mentioned the Colts earlier when we talked about Jim Harbaugh and his days in Pittsburgh trying to beat the Steelers as the quarterback of the Colts. I can't remember who their RB1 was back in 1995. That's a good question, right? That's a a brain bender. Who was the guy he was handing the ball off to? I remember Quentin Coriat. I remember... Who I don't remember. I remember Jim Harbaugh and Quentin Coriat. I know. I don't it. remember a lot of guys on that team. Who the running back yeah. was, who started in the 1995 AFC Championship game for the Colts. If they were to get there now, it would be Jonathan Taylor, unless it wouldn't. You know, there's been this kind of weird and awkward. Definitely. Where does this really stand? The team, I believe, wanted to take the steam out of a situation that owner Jim Irsay unnecessarily inflamed a few weeks ago, and they hoped that the passage of time would get Jonathan Taylor to realize his best play is to play and to play for them. But he had still wanted to be traded. And finally, and remember, we played this right when the crap hit the fan. Chris Ballard from PFTPM back in May of 2022 We talked about this dynamic of guys not wanting to be with teams anymore because Tyreek Hill was gone from the Chiefs and A.J. Brown was gone from the Titans and Devontae Adams was gone from the Packers. Ballard said, Mike Tomlin puts it like this, you want volunteers, not hostages. But sometimes you do play hardball. Well, they played hardball for a while, and I think they've retreated to Ballard's overriding point that it's not good for the team to have guys here who don't want to be here. So they've given him permission to go out and and shop a trade. And look, Chris, we've said this from the beginning. All this stuff should have happened in March. All of it should have happened in March. If Jonathan Taylor wants to take a stand, and I fault his agent for it. And I don't know his agent. And I don't care who the agent would be. I fault the agent for this. If your guy's not happy, you know you're dealing with an owner who can be a little erratic, and that's putting it mildly. If you want this guy to get paid, you bring it to a head before March because if it doesn't happen by March, I want to be traded to another team. And you initiate this process when teams have cap space, yeah. cash, Roster and spots. unsettled depth charts. Yes, right. Yeah. In, in late August, and I don't know, mid-late August, August 21, You're kind of close to the start of the season. We're within three weeks of the start of the season. And I know, and I know, I know that I know last year the Panthers traded Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers, but that was more of like opportunity arose and it was clean. It was just do the deal with the Panthers and take on Christian McCaffrey's contract. This is more complicated. You got to placate the Colts and you got to pay Jonathan Taylor and you got to do it all. As we're getting closer and closer and closer to the start of the season, you got plenty of other stuff going on. I got to cut your rosters next Tuesday. When do you find the bandwidth to negotiate a major trade and a major contract with one of the best running backs in football? It makes no sense that this is happening now. No, it doesn't. You know, I, I think we've said that a few times throughout the offseason. It's a little bit Zach Martin ish that way. 
I mean, it all seemed fishy here as of late. I mean, you know, you kind of laid it out there. Um, he he gets he gets to leave the team for a period of time. You know that didn't seem right at the time. And I know, hey, they said there was some matter or whatever. But it, to me, it always kind of seemed like hardball a little bit. Like, yeah, there was still some. Hey, I don't want to give in to you guys, and I'm going to try to find anything I can do to not be there, not practice, whatever it might be. Right? It, it definitely should have been handled back then. I don't understand that either. That falls on the agent a hundred percent here. I don't know where this goes at this point. Like you said, it's almost a dead end, right? I mean, it's a dead end. Uh, There's no team I look at right now, and maybe something happens injury-wise, but I don't wish that on anybody where you look at it and go, you know, if they get the running back, ooh, that'll change things here. Ooh, now they're back in the Super Bowl window, right? All those teams that are in that window are pretty set at that position, let alone they've spent money, like you said, so I don't know where what happens here. Uh, it's unfortunate. Now, you know, there's some other things about this that bother me, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to unpack it. But I don't know where it goes, and I don't imagine anything happening here, and I think Jonathan Taylor's in a very tough spot. My first thought was, yeah. this is a way for Taylor to find out that no one else out there wants to give him what he's looking for so he'll realize his best play is to play for the Colts. So yep. He'll realize he's in checkmate, that no one's going to give him $16 million a year if that's what he's trying to get. Now, what he may do is say, I don't care about what I want. I care about what I can get. Right. And if someone's offering me 12 a year. that That's, yes. Right, I, someone last night was saying, oh, they may offer more than the franchise tag. Well, the franchise tag is so freaking low. I mean, that's a non-starter. What, he's going to take an offer for less than the franchise tag is worth? He doesn't want something less than $10.1 million. It's clearly something that's going to be in eight figures. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. That's what we're talking about. The question is, does he take less? Yeah just to get out of Indy. Right. And in the process of someone saying, hey, we'll trade for Jonathan Taylor and pay him $12.5 million per year just to throw a number out there out of nowhere, what if the Colts say, well, we'll just pay you that? Well, hell, we didn't know that's all you wanted. We thought you wanted sixteen. So, but I, I just think that given the, the calendar, given that we are 19 days away from the first Sunday of the regular season, it's going to be difficult to pull this off. And I think the reason they let him do it is they recognized the effort to let everything calm down hadn't worked. Yeah. So we need another strategy, last-ditch effort to get him to choose to stay here. And let's see if it works. And I think the Colts enter it understanding, hey, you know, we may have to trade him, but let's see if somebody is willing to give us what what we want. Reportedly, they want a first-round pick. Obviously, that doesn't that, that that's not binding. That's just what they want. So that's their that's their asking price. What they take may be less than that. But the real issue is, what is somebody else going to pay Jonathan Taylor? He's not going to just take his four point three million dollars that he's due to make this year with the team having the ability to franchise tag him in 2024 and 2025, he's not just going to transfer that to a new team. No. This is the opportunity to get paid. Right. This And, and remember, we've seen these in the past. Jalen Ramsey, Laramie Tunsil, guys get traded, and they don't get their contracts on the way through the door, and they get so much more leverage that way. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's willing to do that. I just can't imagine that he wouldn't say, I want my contract 
on the way through the door as part of this trade. And if you're the team that's going to be giving up real value for the guy, you sure as hell want that contract done because you don't want to inherit the problem the Colts exactly, have. Exactly right. Exactly right. You're right. And, and the running back, you can't do that right now anymore. You can't. You know, if you're going to make that type of move, you got to go, no, I need my money. That's it. Period. Now, running backs and Jonathan Taylor, I would be interested, and I haven't heard. What would what would be his bottom line? I think that could be a game changer. These running backs are going to have to change their thought process here. And, you know, maybe you don't get you know, what the, the franchise tag would be, but maybe you get a sweetener this year and you get, you know, or, or you get eight or nine million. That might be enough. I mean, that's double what he's making. It does. So maybe that's where running backs, Jonathan Taylor, you want to get out, get out of town. You want to get to a place that, you know, you feel like values a little bit more. Okay, you might have to lower your expectations on that number right now. And I, I, I think at some point, one of these top running backs is going to have to do something like that. Maybe a few more years on a contract, but it gives them some more guaranteed money and money in their pocket long term, even though the average year per salary is not that great. But here's the biggest thing that irks me, Mike. Here's the, this, this irks me. It goes to the funny thing, you know, that I want to call business ethics or, you know, even just treating people or employees the right way, right? The running back's not worth anything. The running back's not worth anything. Sure, 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 sure. Right, right. We know he's the best player on their offense. You know, we know Anthony Richardson's got the potential to be that. But right now, Jonathan Taylor's the best player on their offense. He's in the conversation for best running backs in football. He's extremely important to their football team. You know, two years ago when he was kicking butt and and doing all that, they were a, 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 a dangerous offense and on the verge of being in the playoffs, even with Carson Wentz peeing down his leg on a regular basis and doing things there, right? So his value is is real. And then what I guess what I don't like about it is, you know, oh hey, we don't want to pay you, we don't want to pay you, you know, oh the running back market. But then they're gonna go, hey, we we want a first round pick. We want a first-round pick for you, though. So that's where it's a little bit talking at us both sides of the mouse. And I'm not just talking about the Colts here. I know this is a big league issue altogether. But it just doesn't look right, like we talked about. It doesn't look right like the best player on the offense, the guy who can beat all the receivers in a race, can wrestle DeForest Buckner in the middle of the locker room and go, whoa, he's hanging in there, and that's great. And he's going to get screwed over. And that's where it just doesn't look right on the NFL. And it doesn't look right on a personal level in a lot of ways because no employee would be uh, treated like this in any business if they were that important or that good at their job. And I know it's the way it is right now, but it doesn't make it right. And it doesn't make it right on a human level either. And, you know, that's, you know, Ursay Ballard and, and a lot of GMs and owners out there. Around any corner. Within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Here's the other side of it, too, Chris. We played the clip last week, I think, of Aaron Rodgers on WFAN with Boomer and Geo talking about the running back market, and he can see why they would think there may be some collusion. And then last night you have this, oh, this team will pay and that team will pay. Well, if there's collusion of any kind in this running back market – do you think somebody's going to rush to throw a crap load of money at Jonathan Taylor on August 22, 23, 24, 25 and reinvigorate a dead market? Do you really think another team is going to do that? Exactly. Do right. you think after what happened to the Browns when they gave Deshaun Watson 46 million a year over five years fully guaranteed and they became the pariahs of the NFL? Do you really think I'm not saying it's right. But let's be realistic. Yeah. Do you really think one of these other owners is going to sign off on blowing up the running back market at a time when they're sitting back with their bourbon and their cigar and they're laughing their asses off that the running back market has gone to crap? Do you really think one of those owners is going to say, let's go ahead and blow up this market and let's go ahead and start the push toward 20 million a year? For a market where we get these guys, we get full use out of them. We've got the CBA that helps us hold them. We've got the franchise tag that lets us underpay the best of them. Let's just change all that. Let's just throw a bunch of money at Jonathan Taylor and create a precedent that all these other agents are going to try to ram down our throats. Do you really think anyone's going to do that? I sure don't. Not because I don't think it's wrong to do it, but because I know how they operate. I'd be stunned if somebody swoops in with a major market-shifting offer for Jonathan Taylor because nobody wants to be the next team to get smacked down no. unofficially right. the way the Browns did. No, I, I agreed. There's no way that's happening. Absolutely no effing way that is happening. Now, what, what I you know what I could envision, and I, you know, I've saw this a little bit in the past, right? I, in fact, Le'Veon Bell, I, I, I know just in that conversation – the year he was trying to sign with a football team, he had high expectations for what his number should be. The number started to drop to a yearly number where all of a sudden teams started to go, hey, wait, we got to call Le'Veon Bell's agent. We might be able to get him for that kind of money per year. Wait, it only might be that. And that got teams interested. And all of a sudden the phone started to ring. And I think there was a few teams wow. other than the ones we heard about outside of it, right? Um, so, well, 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 we've talked about this before. They, they created this false narrative that the Ravens were in it, and they lied to the Jets. And and the Jets had some sort of power struggle going on at the time. Mike McKagan was the GM. Adam sure. Gase was the coach. Right. And people in that organization believed the BS that the Ravens were about to sign. And the Ravens weren't even in it. So kudos. Well done. Le'Veon. And But you know what? That experience is enough reason for folks who were around back in 20. 20- 
19. Yeah. And who remember that to be very careful about this because that bell contract, you know, it, it, it was an yeah, outlier. It, wasn't good. it was an aberration yeah, right. and, and it, and the money was never really earned. It was a waste by the jets and it's, it's a cautionary tale for anybody. It's just another factor beyond getting yourself in trouble with your colleagues and no. 345 park Avenue. You go out there and pay 16 million a year to Jonathan Taylor you may regret it. No, no, and and you're right. You're you're right. There was that part of the story that was, but but it was even a little bit before that. Before there was the oh wait, the Ravens are in this and might give them this kind of money. There was a little bit of the crickets, like you talked about, and there started to yeah. be. And I know multiple teams who were like got a little interested because I think they started to realize or hear that Le'Veon Bell might not get nearly what he was asking for, and that number might, and they, oh, wait, what, what, oh, you, you'll play for eight million a year? Wait, we're interested now, seven and a half a year? And, and that's, that's, that was my point, is that yeah. if, if the running but back, but he won't do that. I know Taylor's he won't. not going to do that. I know, but at some yeah. point they're going to have to take, like what you said, you're going to have to take some deals that you just got to get the money in your pocket, in your bank account. And I know the franchise tag is ten million, but you, you know you might have to take something on a yearly average basis that's slightly less than that. But still, it's going to be money in your pocket. I don't know where it goes. There's very few remedies here for the running backs. It's messed up, like we're talking about. It really is, and it's messed up too, just at a base level. If you're a fan, you're going, wait, a guy they want a first round pick for, who's awesome. He's got three rockets up his ass. He's strong as anybody in football, pound for pound. He's making what? Four point nine million. They're telling me he's not that valuable, but yet they want an incredibly valuable asset. If you want him, yeah, that makes no effing right. sense, and that's an NFL problem, and it doesn't look good. It really doesn't. And you know, the other side of this too is you may have running backs start making bad business decisions just to get out of situations where they feel like they've been mistreated. I, we yeah, kind of no. have that with Josh Jacobs, yeah. although Jacobs reportedly is going to show up and take the 10-1. I wouldn't make it known that I'm thinking about taking the 10-1 because you're just daring the Raiders to rescind it. I would just go take the damn thing. Just go take it and be done with it if that's what you're thinking. But, but you know, maybe he's trying to bait them into rescinding it. I don't know. But there's been this sense that they don't care about the money. Jacobs doesn't care about the money. Maybe Taylor doesn't care about the money. Maybe Taylor just wants out. Because let's think about what these guys do. They get the crap beat out of them. They are physically abused as part of their job. Every time they touch the ball, they are hit, often by multiple players. And it hurts. And you go through a lot to keep your body together. And you make it to a point where you just resent the fact that your current employer doesn't appreciate it the way they should. Yeah. So maybe I will take less to go to somebody who appreciates what I'm going through. So it becomes to a point where it's not about the money. They can say it's out. Yeah. Anytime somebody says it's not about the money, it's about the money. But it could just be that there's so much physical pain, so much emotional investment that goes into playing that position over and over and over and over again, running into that mass of bodies repeatedly, that you don't get as hung up on the money, that you just want to prove a point, and you just want to be somewhere where you feel like you're not just a piece of meat, you're not just that interchangeable part that they're going to pull out and cast aside and plug a new one in. So I don't know, but, but you're right, Chris, there is... An inconsistency between the Colts refusing to even negotiate with him. Remember, that was part of the storm that all came yeah, up in July. Sure. They hadn't even negotiated with him. Right. So you don't even see fit to negotiate with this guy. 
and you want a first-round pick for him? That just doesn't makes no sense. No, it does not. I think they'll take less than a one for him, though. I, I mean, really, they I, wouldn't put out there that they want a one if they wanted a one. They're putting out there they want a one because it will take less than a one, but that just gets the conversation well, started. Well, I, it does, and but that's where I want to go into, I, I, you know, again, back to the McCaffrey deal, right? I mean, first off, McCaffrey's making $16 million a year. He he did not lead the NFL rushing two years before he got traded. In fact, he was hurt most of that year and then hurt the year he got traded. They got a third and a fourth round pick for Christian McCaffrey, and they knew they had to pay him $15 million a year. So that doesn't make sense. They know even if they trade for Jonathan Taylor, yeah, there's a new contract, but you know you're not going to pay him $15 million a year. It's going to be significantly less. And so that to me makes no sense either. And if if they if they really don't think he's that valuable and they want to get something for him and help their football team and really move this along and whatever else, put him out, you know, the second, third round pick, fourth round pick. I mean, I think that you get in the third and fourth round picks, teams will start to call call the Colts and go, wait, okay, we'll do this. But, you know, that yeah, doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up in, in that in that way like like we're saying. Well, and I think this is a perfect opportunity. Now, I know that teams don't like to do this because it it limits their flexibility to make other trades until you know what the conditions will be. But this would be a perfect opportunity to do a certain level. And if Jonathan Taylor rushes for X yards, it goes up. Or plays in X games, it goes up. A four becomes a three, becomes a two, becomes a one. Something like that, Right. That would be fair. That would make sense. That would maybe get this done. And then if you trade for the guy and he has a big year, you're fine to give up the first-round pick, right? You win the Super Bowl, you'll give up a first-round pick. You're in the Super Bowl, you'll give up a first-round pick. You know, you get to the Super Bowl and he plays 80% of the snaps, something like that. There's got to be a way to do it. That doesn't happen nearly often enough, and I think the main reason teams are reticent to do so is they don't like to be caught in a spot where they've got three or four picks that are kind of frozen pending the outcome of whatever the conditions are that apply to the trade that can move a draft pick up and down. But that would make sense here. Wouldn't that make sense? It would. If somebody at this stage of the game is getting involved to get Jonathan Taylor, like, we don't know how healthy he is. We don't know how much he's going to play this year. We don't know how good we're going to be with him. We're plugging this this piece into our machine as it's starting to roll down the tracks. We're changing the tire on a moving car here. So I, I, uh, I'm not completely shocked that it's happened because I think the Colts were realizing this guy was going to hold in and this ankle was going to keep him from practicing, and it was going to maybe keep him from playing, yep. and it was going to force them to really turn it ugly. Remember, they floated that trial balloon a few weeks ago right. about putting him on the non-football injury list. That died. Yeah, it as soon as it went up, good. it got shot down. Yeah, right. Right, right. And and that was I think that was Ursay. Ursay exasperated. So but I feel, I mean, Chris Ballard's been in the middle of this, oh, he's I tough. believe. Man, I know. You know Trying to trying to tame lions here with Jim Ursay and trying to negotiate here and placate everyone. And he may have just gotten to the point where he's like, I gotta I gotta get my team ready. And this is becoming a distraction for our effort to get our team ready to play. This guy didn't want to be here. And the 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 effort to calm things down hasn't worked. So let's just let him go shop his contract in a trade. And either he has his epiphany. 
that his best play is to play for us at $4.3 million this year, or we get a deal we like, he gets a deal he likes, and we say thanks for the memories, and we move on from him just like we moved on from Edger and James, and we moved on from Marshall Falk, and we'll find another running back. And, you know, we wish we didn't have to. We would have rather kept him around for this year and maybe a franchise tag year or two. But that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where they are. They'll take whatever outcome comes. Either he decides to stay because he doesn't get what he wants or he somehow gets something close enough to what he wants. They get close enough to what they want. And Jonathan Taylor's on another team. I can't rule out anything at this point. No way. Because I just think Ballard has gotten exasperated with the circumstances and he's ready to put this behind him. Yeah. Well, Ballard's a football guy. We know that, right? I mean, we got great respect for him. This is a a league-wide problem. I'm certainly not trying to blame the Colts or Ballard here or anything. This is just, it's just, you know, the subject surrounds them right now. And, you know, to Ballard and and kind of what you're talking about there, yeah, I think that's what they got to be a little careful of. One of their best players on their team is in the locker room. They're trying to set a new culture with a franchise quarterback and have positive vibes around Anthony Richardson and build something for the future. And you have one of your best players that is definitely talking shit about the organization in the locker room. You, that, that, and, 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 okay, that might not be a big deal now, but if a few losses and, oh, the team's not doing good – and then another guy or two maybe feel mistreated. Then all of a sudden you got a whole corner of the locker room that's talking crap about the organization. And that's where it filters down, you know, rolls downhill. And all of a sudden you go, whoa, there's a problem with the culture in Indianapolis. Ballard's smart. He knows that. He doesn't want to deal with that. So, yeah, you're right. I think anything is available at this point. But then I go back to this question, Mike, and I sit here and – I look at it and go, well, where the hell is he going to go? Who the hell is going to trade for him? Who is it? I mean, I I can maybe look at a team or two that go, okay, maybe they would think about it, but like, would they pay him on top of that? What are they going to give him? I don't know. And that's where it's really tough here. Before we bridge toward that effort to try to identify trade partners for the Colts, I mentioned Marshall Falk. I have two things to say about Marshall Falk. He ultimately was traded by the Colts to the Rams after the 1998 season. Five years with the Colts, and in lieu of paying him, they traded him. Edron James, six years under his rookie contract, one franchise tag year, out the door to the Arizona Cardinals. Not traded, but he signed as a free agent. But as to Falk, and somebody texted me right after we talked about this, who was the starting running back? For the Indianapolis Colts in the 1995 AFC Championship game played January 14, 1996, somebody texted Marshall Falk, and I thought, well, yeah, I was there. I would know if I saw Marshall Falk play. I would remember Marshall Falk. Right. Marshall Falk's name as a contributor in that game would have stood out to me. Yeah. So I looked up the box score, and I didn't see Marshall Falk. The starting running back that day was Lamont Warren because Marshall Falk had arthroscopic knee surgery nine days earlier and he was unable to play in that game so lamont warren is the answer to our trivia question there it is colts at steelers on the jim ursay twitter account did jim ursay chime in with lamont warren jim are you watching this morning hello jim (laughs) oh it's an old tweet oh they found an old tweet darn it oh by the way your dad did that game featuring jim harbaugh in the production meeting, <laughs> tell your dad I said hi. <laughs> That's where the relationship started, right there. Boom. <laughs> uh, I know. It was, a, it was a. It's funny. It's funny the background of that story, all that, and yeah, obviously, 
You know, it, I, I don't know if this is a Jim Ursay, you know, formula or something. It, it, you know, I, I think it's just been GM and whoever's been there, but he's smart enough to or, or realizes, hey, you don't need that guy necessarily all the time to win the Super Bowl or do whatever else. And I don't know, maybe they have an organizational thing to where they don't want to give running backs a second, third contract, any of that. I don't know. Uh, but, but yeah, this is uh, crazy that it's come to this point. It's crazy that it's at this point, at this time of the year right now. That's where I will fault, certainly, like you said, to start the show. Uh, Jonathan Taylor and his representation. This should have been brought to a head in late February. It should have been at the Super Bowl. We should have been, hey, Jonathan Taylor agents said they're they're not playing for the Colts unless they get a new contract this yeah. year. We should have been talking about it in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. And that didn't happen, and that's unfortunate, and now it's it's a tough spot for Taylor. And even if the light went off at some point after March, you don't show up for training camp. You just don't show up. Now, look, at the end of the day, he may get the $16 million he's looking for. I'll be stunned if he does. I'll be stunned if he does. No way. At this way. point, nothing will surprise me. And I don't know if he's looking for sixteen. I don't know what he's looking for. But you know, the, we've never heard what he's looking for because they never engaged Taylor's camp in talks on a long-term deal. But we'll see how this plays out. Uh, let's now try to figure out where there could be a trade partner. And Barry Jackson, the Miami Herald, reported after this all came out yesterday that the Dolphins would explore a trade for Jonathan Taylor, which kind of surprised me because we hear all the time how much they love their running back room. I know that Devon A. Shane is out week to week with a shoulder injury, but it was all the Dalvin Cook stuff, and they had a a number for Dalvin Cook that was a modest number that was just kind of there, and they they were very restrained, and they were very disciplined and not overpaying potentially Dalvin Cook. So why would they jump in with both feet for Jonathan Taylor, that surprised me that the Dolphins would be the first team that we heard linked to the possibility of trading for Jonathan Taylor. Hey, the Dolphins are aggressive. They're in it to win it. They got one of the best rosters in football. They look at it and go, they don't have they don't have a twenty four game preseason winning streak. <laughs> well, no, they're not of that status yet. They got some work to do. I mean, that, that that's special <laughs> special spot right there, but. I mean, they're ready. So they're looking for anything that they feel like can push them over the edge or, or, or just give them that little extra oomph, right? But the other thing I think, I mean, one, it's Mike McDaniel. We know how important the running game is to him coming from Shanahan. And then I think, two, the other thing, you mentioned the, the injury to, to uh, Akane, or I can't, I never say his name uh, the right way. A-Shane. A-Shane, excuse me. And then I think on top of that, if you really look at Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert, it, they've been injured a lot over the last few years, and I'm sure that scares the, the Miami Dolphins to death. You know, Mostert, Wilson, they're they're almost you know they're smaller running backs. They're almost like track athlete type of guys. So they have been dinged up a lot. They do miss two or three or four games here or there every year, maybe more than that sometimes. Uh, and I think that's probably what's scaring the Dolphins and getting them into this, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Dalvin Cook type of conversation with teams. We were originally going to go through all 31 teams. I don't think we need to do that. No, we because don't. I think we just need to be realistic about where we are right now. Because by the time you make the investment of the draft pick or picks or players or whatever the final deal would be with the Colts, and you make the investment financially in Jonathan Taylor – The end result is going to be you have made a move that puts you in a position where this guy becomes the centerpiece of your offense now. 
This guy becomes the straw that stirs the drink. Who in the hell is in a position to do that in late August? I'm looking at the list that Courtney put together of all the names, of all the running backs, on all the teams. Who is going to say right now, you know, we were going to go with an offense that is kind of run through the quarterback and we have a revolving door of running backs and we like what they can do and they're reasonably priced and they're complimentary and we've got our money spent on our quarterback and our receivers. Oh, you know what we're going to do? What we're going to do? Here's what we're going to do. In late August, we're going to just throw that out the window and we're going to give a draft pick and a bunch of money to a guy that's going to come in and we're just going to be ground and pound now. Yeah. We're right. just going to be. Right. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I, it makes no sense. No. It makes no sense. Unless like the Steelers are secretly disenchanted with Najee Harris and they could trade him to the Colts. That, that would be a way to work this out if you're the Colts. If you come out of this with another running back, maybe that's the answer. But who out there is in a position August 22 to say, we'll give you our RB1 for your RB1 and maybe an extra third round pick or something that that it just that's not an August conversation. That's a March conversation. I agreed with you there. Agreed with you there. You know, the other running back thing is interesting, too, because I do think the Colts will have a need at the position regardless here. And then. You know, I come back to looking at the teams. You, you're spot on with everything you said. And the teams that I really look at and you go, oh, they could use them a little bit. They're teams that are like in a transition year where you go, they're not in the window anyways. You, you really think they're going to go, oh, hey, as we want to rebuild our team, we're going to give away assets and money to a guy that we're in the process of rebuilding. You know, I look at Carolina and go, oh, okay, Carolina could use them. Hell, the Rams could use them. That, they definitely could. The Cardinals, right? It's teams like that where you look at it and go, there's a definite need. He would be a tremendous upgrade. But they're all teams that are going, I, I, they're real, I don't think they all are looking at this year as the year. I look at one team, Mike, to where it makes sense where the actual, like, your team is in a window and pretty damn legit. And it would make sense, okay? And the one team that I look at I'm listening. is this, I'm listening. the Los you, Angeles intrigued. Chargers. The Los Angeles Chargers. Ooh. I look at that with that offensive line, right? You got Kellen Moore, came from Dallas, right? And now you couple that with Justin Herbert and the passing game and all that there. You know, that's I've got a lot of respect for Austin Eckler, but that that would be a tremendous. What do you do with Eckler? Upgrade. What do you do with Eckler? Well, maybe that's you where you get Eckler? into. Hey, Colts, would you trade for him? You want him? He'll help you out right now. So and, wait, wait, wait. So you go from one unhappy running back in the last year of his contract to another unhappy I, running back. I, I was just the guy that out started t- all I this know. back in March. I, I, I the guy know. that the guy that the guy that, <laughs> that tried the to get a trade. <laughs> right. The guy that got permission to seek a trade and quickly realized there's no one out there. That's I, I Give me what I want, so I'm going to love the one I'm with. I mean, there's an irony to this, and it bookends so well, and it makes me feel even more strongly there's not going to be a team that's going to give Jonathan Taylor what he wants. If there was no one to give Austin Eckler what he wanted in March when it should have happened for Taylor, how is somebody going to mobilize this thing in late August? But I like what you're saying, and Eckler's due to make, it's like $6.25 million, and they have a sweetener in there. That was what they did to kind of make him feel... but. You know, and, and, you know, from the Colts' perspective, 
if you're going to take on a running back as part of this, you don't want him to cost more than Taylor did, do you? No. Because Eckler will. I, I, I know. I, I, you don't, I wouldn't think. But it's not significantly more. You get rid of a headache, and then you do have a guy you know, at the running back position where you go, hey, wait, this is dependable. He's dependable. He will fit the style in which we want to play, be in the shotgun, you know, run that offense we saw in Philadelphia with, with Sirianni and Jalen Hurts. That's That's where, like, you know, again, I came to going, ooh, it makes sense there for both sides, a little bit schematically football-wise, and you get rid of some problems that are, you know, in your locker room. But, yeah, I, I know it's far-fetched. It's the only one I can even look at to go, huh, that makes a little sense. But after that, it's a bunch of teams like we talked about that are wouldn't be thinking of those type of moves because they're building for the future. The one team for me. Yeah. Because they always seem to bubble up. Now I, it I would say the Rams, but no, I know there's no three, reason. Two for years the Rams ago, three years it. ago, yes, right. There's there's no reason for the Rams to go f them picks and go get Jonathan Taylor, and they had a bad experience with Todd Gurley. What about the Eagles? They're always kind of lurking around. I know. And when you look at their collection of running backs, there isn't a name that jumps off the page. But you know what? They could have just kept Miles Sanders. Now maybe they look at Jonathan Taylor and say, and and you know, they already traded for DeAndre Swift. I know that's when where, the right. Lions drafted Jameer Gibbs and Swift came out in that same draft as Jonathan Taylor. And maybe they're kicking themselves now. We went out and got Swift. Now Swift's in a contract year, and they can just write it off. I mean, hell, they threw a fourth round pick on Robert Quinn last year. It didn't work out. He's gone now, and they don't bat an eye about making a bad trade. They see an opportunity to make their team better, and last year the 49ers get Christian McCaffrey, and we got to contend with the 49ers and McCaffrey this year, and there's all that talent in the AFC. If we could pull one of those great players over to the NFC, the Eagles are the one team that I would watch I just because all the way back to Namdi Asamoah. Remember when they came out of nowhere to sign Namdi Asamoah right after the lockout in 2011? I just feel like the Eagles are always on the fringes thinking of every angle and every way that they can they can show the rest of us how they've figured out this system and they can pull off whatever they want to pull off. Well, it's one of the few positions on their team where you look at and just go, oh, it's not a definite one of the best in the league you know, position groups for the Eagles, you know, O-line receivers, D-line corners. You can all look at that quarterback. Of course, you know, Hey, they're at the top of the league in that, that, that conversation running back. We, we talked about it last year was kind of the, one of the weaker spots there, but they do got a lot of, you know, numbers there as far as players. And, you know, to your point there, uh, you're right. We should keep them on the radar just for the fact of this conversation and that, you know, they're there. They're ready right now. I mean, they would, you know, they're, they're, there's only so much money and players they can have on their football team to a degree as far as draft picks in the future and all that. So if they felt like this got them over the hump, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be the worst idea. But I don't think that's going to happen either, just looking at it realistically. And when you're getting all these great young players in the draft like Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter and you don't have to pay them for multiple years, you can work yeah. the money around. And also, also yeah. to the extent that Jonathan Taylor just wants to be loved, just wants to be appreciated, you put him on a high-end contender, maybe he will take less than what he would have wanted from anybody else. He sees a path out of Indy, a path to a contender, a path to a Super Bowl, playing with Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith 
And Dallas Goddard, are you kidding me? I know. And look, I mean, we, did we? was anybody talking about the Eagles being in it for A.J. Brown? That's the thing about the Eagles. They're, they're kind of like the Patriots in that respect. You never know what the hell they're going to do until they do it. And when they do it, you're like, holy crap, I didn't see that coming. And so, so you're looking at the Chargers. I'm looking at the Eagles. I don't know who else would be in this. The Dolphins reportedly. But I look at the rest of the depth charts, and, and I don't. I don't think that there's anyone out there where it makes sense this time of year. And it may not have made sense in March. It definitely doesn't make sense now. No, no, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, yeah, we threw out, you know, two teams and, you know, uh, that that somewhat makes sense. But I don't know if that totally makes sense either. So I'll be interested to see where it goes. But, you know, poor Jonathan Taylor. I feel for him. I really do. I feel for the running backs in this conversation. Uh, I understand the Colts side and all that. There's a human element that I don't like here that just seems like mistreatment of employees that's bigger than the Colts. It's the NFL with this running back problem that I really don't like. We talk about, yeah, they're not valued and all that, but yet when somebody else, when they don't want to be there and they want to trade him, they go, well, we want a lot of value for that guy, but we don't think he's valuable to pay him, but we want a lot of value, and I just don't like that. And I know you and I will continue to stick up for them, but, man, he's in a tough spot right now. Well, we'll see how it plays out. We'll be tracking it at profootballtalk.com. I have a feeling we'll be talking about it most days here on PFT Live. For now, we're going to take a break. When we return, the commander's new QB1 gave us a glimpse as to why they have so much faith in him in that game that took down the Ravens in their 24-game preseason winning streak. Take that. Take that, Baltimore Ravens. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.